0: what is going on everybody welcome to another episode of future projection of baseball america podcast i'm carlos glazo here with ben badler we're recording on a thursday uh, january 19th the top 100 is officially out yesterday it was a lot of fun just seeing all the reactions to the list dropping talking through prospects with people we had an all-day chat you can see the transcript of that on the website but it is solidly top 100 week as we record this podcast um it's three in a row for us Ben I think that means we're kind of back we're in the groove we're here we're ready to go how are you doing
1: good just recovering from January 15th like you said it's oh yeah and that week. happened <laughs> yeah did I did I tell you what about my my very uh more eventful than I expected January 15th
0: I, I think I know vaguely what happened but I I think you should give us the full story here because this is this is like your your Christmas your huge day well maybe it's not Christmas I don't know maybe you can say if it's more (laughs) exciting and jubilation or just like constant work the entire day but what what happened on January 15th Ben well it's it's definitely Christmas for the players and their
1: families who are signing and I I love it too um it's it's obviously a great day it's the international or the start of the international signing period so it's when all these players and uh you know who, who have had deals especially lined up for two, three plus years sometimes who are finally able to officially sign their contract. And it's a life changing day for the players and their, their family. So I love getting all the photos sent in from, you know, the players, families, scouts, agents, all sorts of different folks in the game, um, being able to share that with people. And then we've got north of 500 players on our tracker right now. Um, But it's always a a busy busy day but yeah so on it was Friday night the 13th I was putting my daughter to bed and and she just starts vomiting like not little baby spit up like full-blown chunks coming out and (laughs) more volume than I knew was even capable of being inside a person that tiny uh so that continued a few more times in the night and, and and she's fine now but Basically, she she caught a pretty nasty stomach bug. So uh, a little less than two days later, uh, I wake up. It's Sunday, January 15th, start of the international signing period. I eat breakfast. Oh, no. It's like 7 a.m. or so. And then I just run to the kitchen sink to dry heave. And I'm like, hmm, that's, that's not good. So I, I get through... You know, the signing period officially opens in the morning and I I get through most of the morning, but by noon, I'm just, I'm vomiting. And and meanwhile, I'm getting like hundreds and hundreds of messages on my phone throughout (laughs) the day. I'm making sure we keep our signing tracker updated. It was like 200, 300 signings or so reported that that first day.
0: This is also terrible because I feel like the international signing day, unlike maybe anything else. At Baseball America, there's there's not like some other person who can just sub in. It's like this is your this is your deal. And if you're not doing it, it's just not being done. (laughs) That's true of, of Baseball America and just the industry at large. So like there are a lot of people waiting to hear what you're tweeting out, who's signing, what you think about deals. And meanwhile, you're just passed out half the day or in the bathroom.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting all these photos sent to me from, yeah, from the players, family scouts, you know, coaches at academies and I'm posting them on Twitter, posting on my Instagram stories, and then just like running back and forth to the bathroom just to puke. And finally, I want to say it was like 3, 3.30 PM or so. Yeah. Like you said, I, I was just lying on a ball or in a
0: ball on uh on my bathroom floor so Uh, (laughs) at what point during the day is everything kind of done and settled with for me with the draft there are like there are clear start and stop times um where you know there's nothing that's happening it's it's very systematic follows a process but for the international period it feels like much more of just a free-for-all and things can kind of keep trickling in over the hours and even days after obviously like how mm-hmm. do you go about knowing when you can be done for the day? It's
1: yeah, it is all day, and it just because some players, you know, some players sign in the morning, some in the afternoon, at night, even you know players who are signing in the morning or afternoon, they'll hear about it uh, or they'll send me their their photos that that night, and then the next day players are are signing too. So, you know, some teams will sign. Uh, you know, maybe they're Dominican players one day, and then they'll go to you know do their Venezuelan players the next day, uh, and, and split up like that. Um, and you know, and just for different reasons, different players sign it at different times. But it's especially that those first two or or three days, it's it's really spread out, and especially nonstop that first day and and into January sixteenth too. But yeah, I mean, they say the best thing that. You can do when you're feeling nauseous is to make sure that you're not, not just, not only do you subject yourself to the most amount of stress as possible, but you should also make sure that you're just staring at your phone, staring at your computer, just staring constantly for screens, yeah. uh, for, for hours. That's
0: great for you on, on end. So I'm, um, I'm glad you mentioned the stress because I wanted to ask about if you do get stressed or or nervous on January 15th, because I know for me on draft day, there's obviously a lot of excitement and I'm ready to see what is going to happen after covering these guys for a year plus. But I also have a ton of anxiety and I'm just constantly worried about either a player that that we really didn't expect to go high going high or a player being drafted who we didn't have anything on. That's the biggest fear honestly, especially day one. Fortunately, it hasn't happened yet. I think every player who's been drafted day one, we've, we've had on the VA 500, uh, fingers crossed, and hopefully I didn't jinx myself. I'm knocking on my desk right now. But how much anxiety is there for you just about just on that information front? Or um, I, I guess what's going through my, are there any times where players are signed that you hear about and you're like, oh crap, like I didn't know about this player? Or is it, I guess, what, what's the process like for you in that capacity?
1: occasionally yeah and and the international signing stuff is different i mean i I think it would be different if there was a draft an international draft which certainly may happen at some point in in the next few years Mm -hmm. obviously we've talked about that then you could
0: feel the uh the ridiculous anxiety about hoping that your mock just luckily gets correct you could see how ridiculous that whole process is
1: (laughs) well i mean the, the the right now obviously the, the players are committing to teams so far in advance. So there is some aspect of like, you know, things can change at the last minute. So I want to make sure uh, you know we, we have that covered if if necessary. And you know, there, there are occasionally players who sign for, uh, you know a lot more money than than I had he- that I had heard they were going to sign for so you know every now and then that happens but i I think in a draft it would be different because there's just so many players throughout all of latin america or all of i mean it's not just latin america you can sign players from from europe we have players signing from taiwan south korea all over the world and even just venezuela dominican republic there could be some kid from some you know joe schmo program who's a you know, not a high profile guy uh, in a more remote part of the country in Venezuela or the Dominican Republic who might be super talented and under the current system. Yeah. Maybe he gets more attention and and ends up signing for more money, but in, in a draft, maybe I don't hear about him until some team takes him at the back of the first round.
0: You talked about, I think you said over 500 players in the tracker right now. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think it's close to 550 and I'm I'm sure okay. we're missing a handful here and there. And, and there's some teams that I'm sure have deals lined up that just yeah. haven't signed their, their and contracts that's, yet. Too.
0: That's similar to the amount of players who are drafted in total with 20 rounds at this point. If you include NDFAs too, I'd imagine it's a similar ballpark. But if we were in a draft system on the international market, how, how many players do you think we would be able to effectively rank in, in the first few years of the process? I imagine it would kind of expand and develop as as the process itself was uh, just kind of established but if if it was similar to the draft do you have a feel for for how many players we could rank on a board
1: i bet we would go hmm, at at least 50 i think uh, i would like to get to a hundred the reality is it's just it's tough and, and it's also challenging for the reasons that we talked about before for why we only have a bonus board now before January 15th. I it mean, also, I know
0: minor pet peeve. It also drives me crazy when people reference the bonus board and reference it as a ranking. This happens constantly. I hate yeah,
1: it. Yeah, it doesn't. And I, I don't know. I mean, if, if you guys listening have any ideas for how to, we can help people like help journalists understand that frankly like it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in uh uh journalism for me frankly just to see so many people
0: um uh, well no one reads this topper it. we've we've realized this over the years when i first yeah. started we wrote it was basically a full article on top of the rankings for the topper and our web guy at the time was like yeah carlos no one is reading this topper we can tell from the analytics of the website like They're just going straight down to the rankings. So if you're not reading all of your, your preamble and your intro, I could easily. I mean, we have tons of rankings on the site. It looks like all the other rankings on our site. So if you're not reading that, it it doesn't surprise me that people think it is a ranking.
1: That is true. It is also literally, I think the second sentence that says explicitly, this is
0: not a ranking. (laughs) I think people click in and immediately scroll down to see the top players or to see which players are linked to their team. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean I I remember yeah talking like a couple years ago i mean like should i just put this in bold font like I, no they're like no i think that's a little over the top and maybe we obnoxious. have a pop-up
0: ad that you can't view the list until you've watched you giving an explainer this <laughs> force like, people. <laughs> like, like on twitter where it's like do, are you sure you want to retweet this without reading the link it's like yeah
1: exactly I, I, yes i, I read that headline i got the gist of it I'm, I'm i'm angry enough to retweet this and or dunk on this
0: how often have you read an Article found the link on Twitter after reading it and gotten that and been like, no, I'm good. I read it. Actually, I've done that a few times.
1: Uh I've had I've definitely had a lot of cases where I'll see headlines of a story and then I'll read more into it and be like, oh, like this doesn't this doesn't at all match the hysterical outrage that is happening, or this just doesn't even reflect the the reality of, of this situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, we called it, I mean, we changed the name to bonus board. So, um, you know, I, you know, I understand people are not going to understand some of the nuances or even some of the basics of how international signings work or or why we've chosen to do it that way. But going back to, yeah, I mean, just the, the the talent rankings themselves, like when we do rank players based on talent, if it were to go to a draft we see so many times players can jump like four miles an hour when you're 16 17 years old in a matter of like two three months and it's not like it's not like high school showcase season where you're you're seeing not necessarily all the top guys but a lot of them or certainly it's not like college baseball where you're getting all the the all the stats all the information all the data on these players playing in games that everybody is is seeing everybody's getting the the trackman data from it's not the case for some kid in 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 the middle of nowhere in Venezuela <laughs> or in or in Colombia Panama I mean there's there's so many countries there's so many players um it's it would be it would be difficult to keep it um you know up to date and accurate with the international market uh, or for an international draft especially for players at at that age but i i would welcome that challenge cuz right yeah, now i would love, head-
0: I would love to see the process i'd love to just follow just being able to to get that information you know would be would be awesome i think a lot of people want to know about these players and the fact that we have a system where you just really can't until they yeah. get into an affiliated system and you start seeing them in real games and people are actually scouting them and you can talk to those scouts. So I, I still am hopeful that that we'll get a system that uh, that allows it to to be better in in all areas. But um, are, are there any takeaways from uh, the first few days of the international signing period, Ben? Any surprises, any any big players that that went to different teams or, or just anything that you want to mention before we get into some top 100 talk?
1: No, no big surprises. Just if you, yeah, if you saw any low in my activity on social media, uh, between about 3.30 to 6 p.m., <laughs> I, I just had to tap out for, for a little bit. I don't know. Do, do you watch Family Guy at all, Carlos?
0: Uh, I have before. I don't, I don't watch it regularly. Yeah, basically said. for I mean, anyone who listens, yeah. you,
1: you know, the scene where they're all drinking. Oh, I forget what it was, but, um basically everybody is just puking at once mm. and that's what it was like <laughs> that, <laughs> that scene was the was was household like. on yeah. January 15th in uh in my household then so I uh, appreciate everybody and if I didn't respond to your messages that, that uh you sent in especially during that time to different scouts or agents players families I uh that that would be the reason why <laughs> so um hopefully hopefully nobody noticed but just uh, a little behind the scenes, a little fun much, behind the scenes, too much behind the scenes, probably.
0: Well, let's let's get some more behind the scenes for for the top 100. Maybe we can talk through um, some of the guys were higher or lower on than than is on the list. Some of the players who have moved up just general thoughts about the top 100 list. Um, I also recorded a podcast yesterday with JJ, Kyle and Jeff. We kind of ran through the list, talked about a number of players. So if you don't get your fill of top 100 talk here on this podcast, which hopefully you will, You can check that one out as well on the BA feed, um, wherever you get your podcasts. But Ben, top 100, headed by Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, Jackson Churio. Seemed like those were the three consensus top players. I believe everyone on staff, we had six people who put together personal top 150s, which we used uh, kind of as a starting point for the top 100, in addition to the BA grades that we have from the prospect handbook process, all of that gave us a really good starting point to build this out. And then we solicit feedback from the industry to try and see who we're high on, who needs to move up, who needs to move down, et cetera. But I think of all the six people who put in lists, which included myself, JJ Cooper, Matt Eddy, Josh Norris, Kyle Glazer, and Jeff Ponce, and typically you, but the timing with January 15th, is tricky, obviously, for you trying to handle that and also putting together a top 150 personal list. But for all the six people who did put together their own, those were consistently the top three. There wasn't any other prospect who got into that top three. And I believe five of the six people had Gunnar Henderson and then Corbin Carroll, too. Uh, I think Matt was the only person who had Chorio instead of Corbin Carroll, too. So I guess, do you agree with that top three if you're putting together your list? How would you order it? And how does this top three compare to last year's trio of Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, and Bobby Witt, Jr. I think
1: I think Gunner Henderson is is the number one prospect in baseball. I agree with that. We talked I think at length about Gunnar Henderson before. Carol versus Churio, I think you could go back and forth on that. Carol is he is more polished. He has less risk than Churio. I mean, I don't think Churio is particularly risky
0: yeah, I agree. himself,
1: but but just in the sense that, of course, he's... The proximity. Yeah, the proximity to the major leagues right now. Um, again, I, I don't even think Jackson Churio... I mean, he's 18 years old. I still don't even think he's that far from being in the in the big leagues he could be there next year I, I don't think he will be there or i should say this year in 2023 i think 24 is more likely when he'll still be just 24 years old and i think you you could argue i mean i think corbin carroll has a lot of upside too like he's not like a some low floor safe player who's dude who has a limited ceiling i, I think I, I think he's a tremendous hitter, defender, mm-hmm. runner, and I think there's more power in there than people generally give him credit for.
0: I was going to ask you about the power with Carroll because I think if you are comparing and contrasting these two, I think the natural separator that you might come to is that Chorio's younger. We think he can maybe be more impactful in terms of power, so the upside is a bit higher, so you're willing to take on that the risk with the proximity because you think he's going to be a more impactful player. But I'm kind of with you on being higher on Corbin Carroll's power. I think Jeff has talked about how his underlying hitting metrics are really positive and indicate maybe that he's got a chance for plus power. We have plus hit and power grades on Carroll now. Maybe the power grade is is a bit on the more optimistic end for Carroll, but it really wouldn't shock me with some of the guys who have gotten to the big leagues and just hit for more power than expected. Obviously we're no longer in the extreme live ball era that we were in for a few years. Uh, I believe in 2019 to 2021 was when the hoppy ball was kind of going around at its best, but Carol is strong. He's not a huge player, but I mean, even going back to high school, he he was always stronger and hit the ball with more impact than you'd expect and he's done nothing but excel in all phases of the game and he's at the big leagues now i had him too just because of the proximity question but really all three of these guys are super tight for me but yeah i guess what kind of power production should we expect of carol or do you think that that you and me and maybe jeff are on the higher end that than most people would be for just his power production
1: I, I mean, I just I think you look at him. he's like you said he's not that tall, but he is yeah, he is strong. he's got strong forearms. you can see you know the just in the exit velocity numbers that he's producing he he hits the ball hard. Uh, he has really good feel for the barrel for for finding the sweet spot consistently and I think that contact frequency, that barrel frequency is going to allow the power to play up in games. I mean, we saw him at 24 home runs last year and I think, yeah, I mean, the ball flies obviously in, in some of the parks that he was playing in, but I don't think it's just all, uh, you know, artificial air mm-hmm. in his numbers. If you just yeah. look
0: kind of under I mean, the hood, just looking at the batted ball data and, and Corman Carroll is three years or about three years older than Churio. So obviously Jackson is still going to get a, bit, a little bit stronger and Carroll's ahead in his, just physical development, but Carol was close to 90 miles per hour exit velocity average. His 90th percentile exit velocity was 106. Um, Jackson Trurios was just under 89 on average, and then between 102 and 103 in terms of 90th percentile exit velocity. That's pretty good for Carol in my mind. I think that's very solid, especially when you're considering his size.
1: Yeah, I I think he'll be, I think he can be a 25 plus home run type guy. Like you said, obviously MLB or, or, or something is happening with the baseball. So that, that, that's subject to change uh, year to year, but. This is why power is just so hard to to
0: (laughs) project. I think power is hard to project, even if we had a consistent baseball in the big leagues. And, And when you have to add in the fact of, oh, the, the home run environment changes year to year, or at least has seemingly changed year to year the last five years it's yeah. even tougher to do well
1: i mean if you looked at like i mean like jose ramirez is just another short hitter yeah. if like when he was corbin carroll's age you would never have thought oh here here's a future 30 plus i mean he, he almost hit 40 home runs one year you, you wouldn't have thought that right but i i think you know not, not that i'm expecting corbin carroll to hit 40 home runs mm-hmm. one year but i i do think he he has you know, like you do hear you know, some scouts talking more 15, 20 home runs, and, and that, that could end up being the case, but I think there is more more power upside there for him. Now, I do think the ultimate power upside is higher for Churio, like you said. Yeah, the he he is younger, he has he has so much bad speed, he's still so lean, wiry, there's so much more room for him to layer on more strength and these the way you see him. Drive the ball with impact already, and and not just impact to the pole side, but really damage the ball to right center field, and the ball just keeps carrying and carrying, and you can just see once he gets stronger, starts filling out, gets into his early mid twenties, he's I, I think he could he's somebody who I think could be a forty plus home run type hitter I mean that's that's on the higher end of things I certainly wouldn't expect that in his um you know I wouldn't expect that consistently from him but I do think he'd be a pretty regular 30 plus home run type hitter and then to go with his athleticism and and speed and all the dynamic ability that he brings as a a premium position guy Um, he's uh, like, it's. I think it's pretty obvious, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Once, once, uh, once we're pretty early in the season, Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll are going to graduate and maybe you make a case for, uh, you know, if Andrew Painter or somebody is, Mm -hmm. is just killing it. Uh, I don't know if we'd ever have a pitcher number one, but like,
0: for a pitcher to get to number one on our list at this point is just so difficult I would imagine I feel like it has to be a, a scenario where the hitting is just down at the top level and it's just one of the better pitching prospects we've seen in like more than a decade because it hasn't been I think it's been more than 15 years since we've had a pitching prospect rank as the number one pitcher on the BA 100 and just in general I I kind of wanted to talk about this as well since we're talking about Andrew Painter he's he's the top pitching prospect on the board now. Um, I think we have the top three pitching prospects in the top 10. I initially had guys like Andrew Painter and Yuri Perez and Grayson Rodriguez, and we kind of talked a little bit about comparing and contrasting them in a recent podcast here, how we would line them up. But I initially had them in that 5 to 10 range. Then I slid the whole trio back uh, over in favor of some some position players just because the hit rate of pitching prospects is so bad. I mean, I think in the in the same way that or in the opposite way that players like Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll and Jackson Chorio, they have so many avenues to be successful big leaguers. None of these players need to hit for a ton of power to be successful. They could be really good hitters at premium defensive positions and offer value on both sides without hitting for a ton of power. They they could all move to a corner profile and still give you value. They don't have to be fast to give you there are just so many avenues to them being not only impact players, but productive players. And I think JJ has talked about this a lot recently. Pitchers just have so many off-ramps to not living up to these expectations. Um, This is Mm -hmm. why we talk about just the attrition risk in general with pitchers. Everything on the field, the injury risk is higher. Um, So I slid these guys back into the 10 to 12 range in favor of some players like a James Wood, Francisco Alvarez, Jordan Lawler, and Marcelo Meyer. I'm curious since... I don't have your personal list right up in front of you. After this trio, would you go towards one of these really high upside potential ace pitchers in a in a Painter or a Yuri Perez or a Grayson Rodriguez or do you would you kind of retreat to the safety of the position player profiles who typically fill out top 100 lists and just it it seems like they have more paths to being productive regulars.
1: Well, I think th- these are the the trio of pitchers that have separated themselves at the the top of the pitching prospect group, guys who it doesn't take a whole lot of squinting to project them as potential aces, potential number one starters. But I think more just more generally, yeah, I think we have a tendency to overrate what we see and what's in front of us and underrate the the risk and and what's not just kind of staring us in the face at the moment right like you said like for a pitcher or excuse me for position players yeah I mean there's some risk that Corbin Carroll or well and Corbin Carroll is a good example uh or Churio Gunner Henderson any of these guys could get hurt but really for position players you know with some exceptions here and there uh, for some guys who are just extremely injury prone or just continue to have nagging injuries that could that keep them off the field and and can potentially degrade their tools that's that's pretty uncommon but for position players they they generally bounce back from injuries whereas pitchers it, it you know a an injury knocks you out for for a full season uh it it has a it can have a significant impact just on your your long-term health yep. your your long-term and not value. just arm
0: injuries injuries to any part of your body really
1: yeah and it, it you know it can be an indication of something you know more you know more significant underlying uh you know you, you have a, an elbow issue or, or a shoulder issue well you know is he doing something mechanically that's going to lead to injuries more injuries going forward is is there something just inherently about the, you know you know the, the, the pitcher's UCL or, or in his shoulder that is going to be an issue for him long term and then we just see the the degradation of stuff, the atrophy of of stuff at times or or even just the fickleness sometimes of um, of stuff for for a pitcher. Um, you know, like Matt Moore, I remember back in the day, it was like Matt Moore, Uh, I think that was the year, like Mike Trout was, you know, in that elite prospect group too. And, you know, just, just taking Matt Moore on on his own, I mean, he looked everything like a number one starter and he came up and, and he was doing it in a playoff race already at the big league level. So it's not like we're talking about, some kid in low A or, or in rookie ball, he had all the stuff that you look for, uh all the track record, including up to the big league level. And it just, you know, he, you know, he's had a good major league career for himself, but just wasn't, you know, a you know top five overall prospect in, in baseball uh type of career that that you would expect. So when you know when we're seeing Andrew Painter, or you go see Grayson Rodriguez, or you're watching Yuri Perez and you're breaking down everything about them right now. Like, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm blown away by those guys, too. But there's just an inherent extra level of of risk with pitchers that you don't have um, to this nearly to the same degree that you have with position players. And I and I think we tend to underrate that risk mm-hmm. when we look back historically and say, oh yeah generally when we look back at list pitchers are are too high um and, and I think that you know it goes for um you know certainly years ago at least for for the draft too where high school pitchers used to be way drafted way way higher than they should have been and that's you mm-hmm. know being corrected now but then at the other time <laughs> you know on the other end you look at again Andrew Painter <laughs> I don't think the Phillies Regret taking Mm -hmm. Andrew Painter as a high school right-handed pitcher. Uh, And I think
0: he was the first high school right-handed
1: pitcher. Or I forget where he was.
0: uh, He was the second. Jackson Job had his huge spring. And he blew up and went, uh, I think, three overall to the Tigers. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, taking Andrew Painter in the middle of the first round, Mm -hmm. I don't think they
1: regret that. I don't think the Orioles regret taking Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well,
0: to your point, I just randomly clicked to a somewhat recent – Uh, top 100 list to see if the hitters would look better than the pitchers at the top of the list. So I pulled up our 2019 top 100 prospect list. I'm just going to go down through 15. um, And you tell me whether you think the position players or the pitchers have borne out their rankings more effectively. All right. Number one, Wander Franco. Number two, Joe Adele. Number three, Luis Robert. Number four, Mackenzie Gore. Number five, Adley Rutschman. Number six, Gavin Lux. Number seven, Nate Pearson. Number eight, Casey Mize. Number nine, Jesus Luzardo. Number 10, Brendan McKay. Number 11, Christian Pache. Number 12, Brendan Rogers. Number 13, Forrest Whitley. Number 14, Carter Keyboom. And number 15, Joey Bart. Of that yeah. pitching group, I think we have maybe two who you'd be happy with and I don't know what what are your takeaways from that group because seemingly this proves your point to me
1: well yeah I mean I think it's too soon to say even on a lot of those players but yeah generally like yeah if, like Forrest Willie Whit- Forrest is a great example of like how much more could you ask of and, and look like Forrest Whitley deserved to be ranked very highly Mm -hmm. um coming off that what was it age i think 19 season where he was up through double a and he was just dominating and all the stuff was getting glowing reviews across the board and he was throwing strikes and everything
0: his year so that would have been following his 2018 season or 20 2017 18 so his 2017 season was age 19 season that's when he went from Low A to double A, posted a 2.83 ERA, 92 innings, almost 14 strikeouts per 3.3 walks per. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably his prospect peak right there. But go on. But yeah,
1: I mean that's 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 my point is yeah,
0: like if you're looking at him
1: at the time, again, he deserved to be ranked extremely highly on on a prospect ranking. But at the same time, I still think we have a tendency to overrate what we can see in front of us, what we're looking at um, from a player in terms of what he just did last year, what he looks like right now and, and trying to project into the future without, and at the same time underrating all of the risk factors and all of the different ways that things can just go sideways for for pitchers.
0: Absolutely. Fade fade the pitching prospects, folks. That's what I'm doing. Um, Got to be really risk tolerant to put them up pretty high. Uh, I am really curious though, when we'll even get a pitcher on the top 100 in the top three, because I think since I've at least been involved in the process, we haven't even had that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the state of, of hitting prospects and and what that pitching prospect would have to look like um, to fit that slot. So kind of moving beyond the top pitchers and the top hitters, are there any players that you are high on? And then I want to get into this shortstop group that, that is really just electric and exciting to me because, you know, shortstops are the best. Um, but after that top trio of hitters, do you have a prospect who you feel comfortable at as your number four guy, or do you think it's just a bigger tier of players who kind of all have arguments? Cause I think, based on the conversations we had while putting together the top 100, there really is a group of, I think, maybe 12 players who you could order in a lot of different ways. And the separation is much smaller than the gap from Gunner to this this group of players as a whole. For me, I'm just so excited about James Woods hitting potential and power upside i had him in that four spot but i don't think it's some clear um player in this area and i also think i was probably one of the higher people on james wood now he he hasn't done it at higher levels which is a concern um but but the combination of his pure hitting ability his athleticism his power was too much for me to pass up and i think i uh Took on a little risk here for the potential upside of James Wood, but is there an obvious player that that you're looking at next or how would you kind of sort that out? No, I,
1: I think the top three are, are in their own tier right now. And then, yeah, I mean, you talked about Jordan Walker, that trio of pitchers. I mean, you have... You know, we, we talked catchers on on the last episode, like Gabriel Moreno, Francisco mm-hmm. Alvarez, like these guys can be franchise type catchers. The, you know what James Wood did last year, and then what Ellie De La Cruz. You know, just a couple of gigantic human beings <laughs> with you know just tremendous tools and performance to go with it. I mean, still some risk in the approach, I think, with with Ellie De La Cruz, but uh just in terms of the physical tools and then to go with again with performance too is just pretty electric and yeah and and then the shortstops you know like Jordan Lawler, Marcelo Meyer, the, the feedback on on those guys again this year was was really exciting. So I, I don't think there's a uh like a clear number four after that. I think there's that group of players that all like you know everybody I just mentioned I think has a chance to be uh, a 70 type player a you know a cornerstone uh you know perennial all-star type of type of player
0: yeah let's get into this shortstop group because for a number of reasons I'm fascinated by the shortstops there are if you include Gunnar Henderson who's really not a part of this tier that we're talking about we have six shortstops among the top 15 prospects all of whom came from either high school or international. Ellie de la Cruz is the only international product here. The rest are high school shortstop products uh, coming from the really strong 2021 and 2019 draft classes um, with Gunnar Henderson and Anthony Volpe being the, uh, maybe out outplaying their pre-draft expectations, Jordan Lawler and Marcelo Meyer being the top guys in the 2021 class, and then, Jackson holiday, obviously the number one overall pick in 2022. So we've just been blessed with a lot of really strong high school shortstop classes in the last three or four years. Um, And that demographic specifically is one teams love picking at, at the top, because you look at the track record of those players panning out and it's really solid. They just have a lot of ways to be productive players. If you look at how we line these guys up again, passing by Gunnar Henderson, we've talked about him on our, our top 100 ranking at Baseball America. The order is: Jordan Lawler, Marcelo Meyer, Jackson Holiday, Anthony Volpe, Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, excuse me. That's that's my rank, Ben. That's how I had them lined up. If you go on the BA top 100, it is Ellie De La Cruz, Marcelo Meyer, Jordan Lawler, Anthony Volpe, Jackson Holiday. Um, and I think my misspeaking there kind of is the whole point of this. I think if you talk to six different people, you would have six different orders of how you line these players up. They're all so close, and I think they have various blends of um, different profiles and different skills that some people are going to be more attracted to, some people are going to be less inclined to get into. So how would you personally line those players up? Um, And I can give you my list again if you need some time to think through it. But it's very fascinating to me to talk through this group of players because they are so close, and I think every single player on here, really, maybe with the exception of Volpe, probably has a case to be at the top of this list. But I'm curious what you think.
1: I I really like Marcelo Meyer. I think he, he, he would be my top pick of that group. You know, he, he doesn't have the upper-level production yet, obviously, compared to Ellie De La Cruz or Anthony Volpe. But I think the... I I think he has a chance to just be really, really special. The swing is like just a textbook, pretty left handed swing. Everything is so smooth. There's an ease of operation to everything he does uh, at at the plate and in the field, too. Uh, You know, he's a bigger bodied shortstop, but he does have uh, very good. Defensive instincts, a good internal clock, um, strong arm. I I think he can stay at the position. I talked before how I, I don't think a shortstop needs to be a great runner to be able to handle shortstop. Uh and and he's a you know, not a great runner, but he has such good instincts, gets good reads off the bat, uh, that I think his range is is good enough yep. to to handle shortstop uh and to potential handle it at a pretty high level too uh but i mean really the the bat is his calling card uh it's it's a beautiful swing he controls the strike zone extremely well uh there's there's power in there there's there's going to be more power in there he's he's a he's a big kid and and i think as he just continues to get stronger uh and and learn which pitches to Try to turn on for damage, but but also stay kind of with the the approach that he has to use the whole field, especially at Fenway Park. It's it's going to be an advantage for him. Where I think it could be, I think it could be a twenty five plus home run type guy. I mean, a a, a shortstop who's going to be a, a high on base threat, uh, can hit for power, uh, can handle the position. Um, you know, I, I don't know where, where are you on on Marcelo Meyer versus. Yeah. Jordan Lawler to go back to an old, uh, not that old draft, <laughs> draft debate.
0: Yeah, it, it really was a coin flip for me. I, I really struggled to line these guys up. I think looking at the data, I had a little bit of concern about the exit velocity numbers with Jordan Lawler. I think you made a lot of good points about just the ease of, of Marcello's game that I think is really exciting. I mean, he's a player who in high school, he was one of these guys who, he's not the most quick twitch or powerful guy, but there's just such an ease to everything he does on the field. And and to your point about his defensive in instincts, overcoming his lack of range and lack of pure foot speed. I mean, he went a perfect 17 for 17 on stolen bases in 2022. Now, granted that was at low A, And we've seen some inflated stolen base numbers that maybe aren't going to tell you that this is a player who who's going to be a burner at the big league level. But I, I just think it, kind of highlights his advanced feel for the game in all stages. I think he's going to be a guy who makes adjustments very quickly. Um, I I buy the pure hitting ability. He he does have a beautiful swing. Um, So, so I really could have gone either way. And I think at at points in putting the list together, I did have Marcelo as the top player of this group for me. In the end, I stuck with the pre-draft rankings and the athleticism that Jordan Lawler has, I really like his quick twitch ability. The fact that he got to double A was kind of a tiebreaker. But again, those were just points to make me feel comfortable in how I was lining them up because it's really difficult to separate them. I think the left-handed hitting of Marcelo Meyer versus Jordan Lawler is is an advantage you could push for him. So I'm really talking myself back and forth between them and if I had to pick one and and sell you, this person is, this player is definitely going to be better long term. I would never feel confident in that.
1: What is the, you mentioned the, some of the risk with Jordan Lawler in terms of uh, either power or just the exit velocity numbers. What, what was some of the risk that popped up with him
0: there? Just looking at, at kind of the exit velocity numbers we have, it, it jumps out as being one of the lower marks. Uh, of players on the top 100, so just seeing that was a little bit concerning. Um, I think the approach and the power production that he's actually shown in game is encouraging, and and maybe it's just a case of uh, him being one of those players who has great feel for the barrel and is just going to hit for more raw power, more power than you would expect given the raw power that he has. I know there has also been some questions about his defensive ability. Is he going to be a guy who sticks at shortstop. I don't personally have those, which maybe is why I I felt fine putting him number one. But I know I've heard it from people at Baseball America, people who who have scouted Jordan Lawler. There are questions about, is he going to be a guy who maybe moves to center field or plays second or third? Uh, I don't really have a great reason why there are those questions. Um, I guess maybe he had more errors than you want to see in 2022. But I mean, Derek Jeter had a lot of errors and he was a pretty good shortstop for a long time. I think still an overrated defensive shortstop, but I don't necessarily think the errors alone are a compelling reason for me to be down on his ability to stick at shortstop. I'm I'm high. What, what do you think about his defensive ability? Because just hearing that, like and seeing him in high school, I thought he could do everything on the field to stick at the position and even be a good defensive shortstop.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's typical youthful things that you see from a, a teenage shortstop, as far as just I don't want to say like consistency, um, but you know, sometimes sometimes just decision making or um, you know, just yeah, I guess consistency is is a can be a fair fair word here. Like you know, he has the the range to. To play the position, he has the arm strength to to play the position. His hands work well there. The actions work well there. Uh, you know, it's just you know, a lot of times we just see young shortstops make errors, and that's not uh, yeah not super uncommon. I'm I'm not uh, yeah. There's is, is the defensive side doesn't really give me any pause or mm-hmm. or hesitation with him. And and again, you know, we have him uh, as the top 15 prospect in baseball, so we're just mm-hmm. kind of uh nitpicking things here and there when we're debating like who belongs <laughs> yeah. in the top you know top five top 10 type type group although we had uh the other guy I mean on shortstops was another highly drafted shortstop was Jackson holiday mm-hmm. we have Maybe you know, the busiest
0: player here yeah
1: number one overall pick in the draft and you know coming into coming into uh, you know if, if we're talking this time Last year and I told you, hey, Carlos uh in, in 2023 on our top one hundred Jackson Holiday is going to be the number fifteen prospect in baseball. He probably be like, you mean on on the on our draft ranking <laughs> or, or in all of of baseball? Because you know, he was a good prospect coming into mm-hmm. the spring, but he really elevated himself yeah. into the you know the become I mean, the number he... one
0: it was him and Justin Crawford were the two who coming in were not at the top, but all the scouts were saying, watch out. They could make huge jumps. Just the skill sets they have with their bodies. Once they add some strength, they could take a massive jump. And he did. And and I don't know that anyone would have expected it to be quite the jump that, that it actually has been. Um, I mean, he was the number one pick. Like you said, he's, he's played like the number one pick so far. It's obviously very early, but, but I think his pro debut The underlying hitting data and swing decisions and impact and chase rates that he showed in his pro debut just give you a lot of confidence that the Baltimore did make the right pick. We had him, I think, as a top three player in the draft. I'm probably going to regret not bumping him up to number two Um, very soon. We'll see how that that actually plays out. We had Brooks Lee number two, but yeah, he has been one of the most positively talked about player of anyone on this top 100. When we started sending the list around, I think we had him in the round 20, both him and Drew Jones, we had around the, the early 20s on the list and pretty consistently people were like, no, you got to get Jackson Holiday up higher. I know he's an early favorite now for a potential number one overall player in baseball a year from now, once some of these players who are higher up in the minors graduate. Um, yeah, every everything about Jackson is positive right now. There's... There's no area of concern that's glaring to me um, in either skills or physical tools. I still think that, similar to Bobby Witt Jr., I, I remember the first time that I saw how Bobby Witt looked physically, I think, in spring training two years after he was drafted, how much stronger he looked compared to his high school body. I think Jackson Holiday is going to be very similar in this regard. He was super lanky, had a ton of room to fill out and add strength to his frame. And we're already talking about a guy who had really impressive exit velocity data and, and just impact in pro ball with a wood bat as an 18-year-old. So I can't imagine what he's going to look like two or three years from now when he's closer to physical maturity. Uh, he's exceptionally exciting right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's way ahead of where... Gunner Henderson was at the same time I yes. mean I think he you know I and mean, Gunnar Henderson has obviously escalated his his stock into a different level at this point but I I think holiday has that kind of upside where you alluded to yeah I mean maybe he maybe he does end up number one on this list at uh at some point it's 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 impressive he has his younger brother too <laughs> ethan holiday for
0: 2025 right
1: 2025 is yeah. i mean just watching him he's bigger is, than
0: jackson already isn't he yeah
1: yeah he's bigger than jackson right now he'll probably end up looking more like his dad i mean matt holiday obviously former uh perennial mlb all-star um might have heard but, of him yeah just in case anybody didn't know who uh jackson holiday's dad was but uh, yeah he he is super talented. I mean, it's kind of like it could be like an Upton brothers situation where they were mm-hmm. both going, you know everybody was uh watching the older brother and then at the same time, you know going in last year <laughs> if you're watching Jackson Holiday playing uh you know in in high school leading up to the draft, you're seeing his his younger brother, Ethan, too, and being like, oh, my goodness, this kid is is, uh, is an absolute monster. Here, here's um, the question
0: he's... with Jackson. Just kind of as i talked about him and looking at his scouting report, I mean, we have pluses across the board outside of power, which I think could also easily tick up to plus. What is the question mark with him? Is there any hole in his game that you're concerned about? To me, the only question mark is he's really not played that much pro ball, and he's got a lot of time until he's major league ready. That's about the only question, and there's not really much he can do about that. He was just drafted six months ago. I don't see an an obvious hole in the scouting report with him.
1: No, you're right. I mean, (laughs) coming in, you know, coming in this time last year, I would say it would be power, like how much impact is there going to be? But I mean, like you wrote about... I think he's
0: just a better hitter than I expected him to be, because over the summer he he was trying to hit for power and he was expanding the zone. He was swinging and missing a little bit, but I just remember talking with scouts and maybe you had seen it too as an underclassman, but his approach was much better as an underclassman. I think the stage of that summer showcase circuit in his platform year made him kind of look to do a little bit more damage than he needed to. Um, so I didn't ever see him at his best in terms of pure hitting ability and approach, but seeing it from afar and seeing it translate to pro ball, like he's a very, very good hitter yeah i mean I've, I've always just
1: loved his swing and kind of hope that once he layered on more strength like you were talking about scouts we're, we're saying with him and uh you know justin crawford i mean Craw- crawford's a different uh, uh kind of longer uh maybe also narrower body type than than holiday but just hoping that once he layered on more strength that more power and, and more impact would come and that did has already happened with him we've seen enough Taking in the power and uptick in the speed. I think just in general, when you have hitters, you know, around that age, like what, sometimes you see once a hitter, a young hitter, especially starts to come into a little bit of power, starts to be able to hit the ball over the fence. Uh, you know, it's fun to see the ball <laughs> over the fence, Absolutely. right? So you see them get away from their approach sometimes and try to get a little bit more pull heavy or a little bit more steep with their swing a little bit more uphill and get away from what makes them a good hitter uh so you know not necessarily speaking specifically to holiday in that respect but yeah just you see that from a lot of young hitters sometimes but uh, you know once they can settle in and, and get back to their approach and realize all right I don't you know. I'm I'm, I'm going to continue to get stronger I have some more strength right now I don't need to try to you know yank the ball and and get underneath it and and try to get so steep and and pull heavy with my approach I can you know s- stay through the ball use the whole field mm-hmm. um you know s- stay gap to gap stay through the middle of the field and and you'll see some sometimes hitters that age will, will just get away from their approach uh, but clearly, I think what what Jackson Holiday is showing—he I mean, w- walked more than I think he had more than twice as many walks as strikeouts—and it's you know it's obviously still the but that alone levels. is so
0: impressive to me as a high school kid and his first pro stint.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the the approach overall, from what we've seen, is is super advanced for for his age, and and just to go with the really beautiful, compact, efficient swing. From the left side, I think it's yeah, a, a shortstop who's mm-hmm. who should be a, a very high OBP type shortstop who can uh you know who's starting to grow into some more more power too. Yeah.
0: Well, let's get into the last two guys who we really haven't touched on as much so far in the shortstop group. And that's Anthony Volpe and Ellie Dale Cruz. And and maybe I biased this conversation um because I have them lowest on my personal ordering. That's certainly not the case for for others on staff and people in the industry. Uh, we we have Ellie as the top shortstop in this group on, on the top 100. Personally, I'm just scared of the chase and the swing and miss. But, but tell me why I might be a little crazy to have him the lowest on this group, Ben. Like, he is an absolute unicorn. There are not players in baseball. There are not many players. Maybe there's a handful who look like he does, who, who are as physical, who have his speed, who can play shortstop, who have his power. I mean, some of the highlights that we saw from him in the Dominican winter league were just awesome. Like he's a guy who you hope has a long, successful major league career because he's, he could be one of those players who is just a must watch every night. Um, like an Otani or like an O'Neill Cruz, if he's playing mm-hmm. similar to these guys, just freak athlete. I'm just scared of the, of the swing and miss and the chase. Am I, am I too concerned considering how loud his other tools are?
1: i mean the yeah the the tools like you said with him or with o'neill cruz you want those guys to be able to figure it out and for everything to click for them because the the tools are just so electric i mean power speed arm strength you could go you could go sevens if not higher on all of those tools it's uh just and such a he's such a fun player even just to watch him run just the the
0: way he runs just these long gliding it doesn't feel possible for him to cover the ground that he does watching him run i remember the first time i saw him run i was like what (laughs) you just don't see players that big that are that fast
1: it's just yeah these gliding graceful strides and he's just so much closing speed uh to him it's it's incredible just to watch him run from a, a pure enjoyment standpoint. Uh, and he did, I mean, look, the performance was great. I mean, just in terms of the, the slash line was, was great. It was great up to, you know, double a too. So we're, we're seeing it at the upper levels, but like you said, he, he does not have the same level of, of play discipline, strike zone management, uh, pure contact skills that, that we've seen from, you know, Marcelo Meyer or, or Jackson holiday. And again, obviously those guys are, are lower down, down the organizational chain uh, in terms of the levels they've, they've competed at so far, but you know, this is pretty consistent. What we've seen from Ellie De La Cruz throughout his career is what, yeah, he will, he will expand the zone. He is a you know a long arm hitter there's there's some holes to his swing and it leads to a strikeout rate in the you know 30 range and that is that is definitely a a big risk for the pure hitting ability um as he you know as he moves up and and starts to face major league pitching Uh, you know
0: he had the highest chase rate and the highest miss rate of any hitting prospect in the top 15 range, which is really why I had him towards the bottom of that for me personally. It's just, it's been hard for me to, to get over that because I don't know, have we seen any evidence of him making adjustments in terms of just the strikeout rate as he's progressed? It's been in a similar range on rookie ball for 14 or a 43 game sample is 24%. Uh, in 2022 in high A and double A, it was just over 30% and he's kind of consistently been in that upper 20s low 30s range um is is there any hope that he can either find more contact or improve the approach uh or or what do you do you think he's going to be a player where you just you have to live with the swing and miss and he will make enough impact um when he when he does connect that that you'll live with it and you'll be fine with it
1: yeah I mean the optimistic case for him is that you know it, it has worked for him so far it's worked for him up through double A and it's not, you know, it's not 35% or 40% where you say, all right, well, this can't work. Uh, And and you say, all right, well, yeah, it was a 30, 31% strikeout rate this year. If he can trim it a little bit again, he's, you know, I I don't think he's ever going to win a a batting title or or lead the league and, uh, you know, on base percentage or, or anything like that. But if he can just keep it to a manageable level of of swing and miss and you know a reasonable level of of chase or, or expanding the zone then there's just there's so many other things that he's able to do especially with the power um to and and the speed that he brings to just to be such such an exciting player but i i do think he is the player where um you know the the excitement level kind of outpaces The actual uh, on field baseball value that he brings like he's he's probably yeah he's more exciting, I think, to watch than some of these other players (laughs) we've talked about, because the the highlight plays that he's capable of are are phenomenal, but there is more risk just offensively with him.
0: And that brings us to maybe Ellie de la Cruz's polar opposite and Anthony Volpe, at least in terms of the prospects in this grouping. I feel like Volpe is much more of the polished player. Who's a really great pure hitter who maybe doesn't have the secondary tool set that's as exciting as some of these other players we've talked about. And certainly not as exciting as Ellie de la Cruz, but at the same time, he's still a player who we have among the top 15 prospects in baseball it's close proximity to the big leagues. We're probably going to see him at some point in 2023. Um, And maybe he's the player of this grouping who has the lowest chance to stick at shortstop. What do you think about Volpe? Do you think he's going to be a shortstop? What sort of impact can we uh, expect to see with him, Ben?
1: Yeah, he, he kind of stumbled early on in the season. And then after that, he kind of took off. So um. Yeah. Um. I'm. I'm pretty optimistic about him. Definitely a kind of a split camp. Can he stay at shortstop? I think he could play there out of out of necessity. I think more likely it's it's second base is a best fit for him. Um. But the 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 bat I think is is really advanced um again I, i'd look beyond i mean, not that it was a bad season for him but um i think once once he got kind of april behind him the the performance took off uh even more um you know good good hand eye coordination makes a lot of contact it's it's an advanced approach um he's uh, just just a good hitter man like <laughs> and there's some there's some power behind the swing too. Uh, I think he has a chance to be a, a 25 plus home run type guy. So um, yeah, I think he's, he's somebody who could be, uh, uh, you know, a, a, an all-star uh, whether it's at, at second base or, you know, maybe they, you know, try to squeeze him in there at, at shortstop. But I think ultimately second base is, is going to be his best fit.
0: Yeah. And so after talking through these players I'm curious what what your order would be. I'll run through mine very quickly again, just to kind of refresh listeners what I had, um, and see how it compares or contrasts to yours. Because again, I think if we pulled, if we talked to every person at Baseball America who put together a list for this, I think they would have different orders, and I think they do. So you would be the only uh, the only person I'm curious about now. But mine is: I go Jordan Lawler, I go Marcelo Meyer. I go Jackson Holiday, Anthony Volpe, and Ellie de la Cruz in that order. What would you go, Ben?
1: Yeah, I like I like again, I like Meyer the most of that group. Um, I think he has just a, a chance to be really, really special. Um probably go, yeah, Jordan, Jordan Waller and, and Volpe are in that next group for me. Um, and then Jackson Holiday with the caveat that like I mean, it's just the, it really is just a lack of professional experience or, you know, relative to what we've seen from, you know, Lawler and Mm -hmm. and Volpe and and Meyer so far. But uh, I I could easily see him jumping ahead of those guys too. Um, And then, uh, yeah, Ellie would be at the, at the back of that group for me again, obviously super exciting type Talent, but the 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 hit risk there is kind of the what puts him behind them for me.
0: So a few differences, but but still in general, we agree too much, Ben. The podcast would be much more explosive if we just had completely different views on things. We need to work on that. Um, but what I found interesting as well about the top of this list is how lacking it is on college players on the top 20 on the site of the top 100 we have just one college player college product who fits on the top 20 Uh, and and overall the top 100 is much more high school and international heavy than it typically is in a given year Kyle Glazer had a really good piece just kind of going over the numbers of the top 100 breaking it down by different demographics which teams which positions nationalities and source and what's fascinating to me about the top of this list is We're about to layer a bunch of really impressive college hitting prospects from the 2023 draft onto this top 100 that's very high school heavy. And I'm fascinated to see how maybe one of the best college shortstop classes that I've covered. Actually, I think it's definitely, at least right now on paper, as we head into the season, we'll see what changes over the next few months when, when college play gets underway. But entering the year, it's the best college shortstop class that I've covered at baseball America. And, and that's because of depth at college shortstop. That's because we have a guy like Jacob Gonzalez at Mississippi, who is probably the best college shortstop prospect since Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman in 2015. We've got a guy like Jacob Wilson at grand Canyon, who was unbelievable uh, with team USA and just never swings and misses. We've got, I think six or seven, College shortstops right now ranked among the top 30 prospects. And and just given the amount of depth in the country, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some other shortstops who moved up um, as the year progressed. But it's a very strong college shortstop class that, at least development timeline-wise, would would be in line with a lot of the high school players on this list. Um, But the one question, too, is where are all the impact college players going? Where Where have they gone? Why aren't they on this list? Do you have any theories as to why this list is lacking so many college players, Ben? Do you think uh, teams are better at identifying high school players? Typically, in any draft class, the high school players at the very top, at least, if we're comparing top-end high school players to top-end college players, the high school players are typically a little bit more toolsier with more upside, which is why they don't get to college in the first place. But the 2023 draft is fascinating because a lot of the best college players come from that 2022 class or 2020 class, excuse me, when we had the five round draft. So a lot of premium high school talents, like a Dylan Cruz, like a Jacob Gonzalez, got to campus when they otherwise would. So I'm throwing a lot here at you, but I guess take it in in any direction you want to go, Ben. Any thoughts on lack of college players up top on the 2023 shortstop class, uh, or just high school players being high?
1: You're talking about lack of college shortstops or just lack of college I players
0: both i think typically it's very typical that you don't get premium shortstops from college because the industry gets those elite prospects out of high school like a bobby Witt jr or a cj abrams or marcella right. Meyer and jordan law or jackson holiday none of these guys get to campus because teams are so high in the profile um so it's not surprising to me that you typically get your premium shortstops from high school Um, I mean, the best prospect of all time is Alex Rodriguez. and There's a reason he didn't get to college. Um, So I guess in general, just the lack of college players overall. I I think we haven't really seen the wave of college pitching prospects replacing some of these older aces we have in baseball that came out of college. Like a Justin Verlander, like a Steven Strasburg, like a Max Scherzer. Uh, There are a lot of guys who have been aces for a long time or college products. And over the last few years, we haven't really had that wave of players replace them.
1: I mean, part of it is uh, with, with college players, there's, there's a more limited window for them to get into the top 100. There's typically a shorter development timeline. So if you look back to say the 2020 draft, like, you, you know, you have Torkelson and, Reid have graduated, but then, like, I don't know, who who are the college hitters, especially from, you know, the the, the top of the draft, who would even belong there, like Kerstad, Austin Martin, mm-hmm. Nick Gonzalez. I mean, even <laughs> guys
0: from 2022, like Jacob Berry or Jace Young, did not exactly have compelling pro debuts. They're not really on here. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. No, or going back to, you know, the twenty-one
1: draft, like all right, like we got like Colton Kowser and Henry Davis are our top one hundred prospects, Sal Freelick too. I mean, and, and I don't think Freelick has really elevated himself among among that group, but I you don't know, like I don't think any of those guys should be, you know, top 25 type prospects in in baseball. By any means, so it's just you know the you you look at the college hitters who got drafted at the top of the draft. They just don't, they just don't belong in in that group right now.
0: So basically, don't ever draft college players. It's going to be really tough for for twenty (laughs) twenty three because it is littered with impact college hitters. So yeah, I'm I'm just curious. Well, well, the twenty three, how much this changes?
1: Yeah, I was going to say with in the twenty the 23 draft this year too. I mean, it it also makes sense that the college class should be really strong, Mm -hmm. right? Coming off that 2020 draft where you you had five rounds and you didn't have uh, an opportunity to get a great or or as complete of an evaluation as you would have normally wanted to have. So even the
0: money mattered more when high school guys are tougher to sign, you have to make sure, especially in a five round draft, you're signing all of your guys so maybe teams just felt like it was a much smarter decision less risky to draft college guys you know you're going to sign rather than maybe taking a high school player where you don't have as much flexibility as you typically would to move around money um and then you've got guys like Dylan, there are a number of players and this happened in the past few years so i don't i don't think it's specific to 2020 overall but a number of high school players just removed themselves from the draft prior to it happening but Right now, the the strength of this 2023 class, in my mind, is college hitters, and it's a lot more college up the middle hitters than, than we've typically had. The last few years, we've had a lot of corner profiles, guys who aren't necessarily center fielders or shortstops, but I mean, just scanning down our list right now, Dylan Cruz, Jacob Gonzalez, Wyatt Langford, who maybe he's moving over to center field this spring Uh, Jacob Wilson, who's a great shortstop, Braden Taylor, not not up the middle profile, but a really polished college hitter, Enrique Bradfield, uh, maybe who will be a player that we can talk about just because of his unique skill set, dynamic runner, Uh, Matt Shaw, who was one of the best players in the Cape Cod League last summer. He's a shortstop from Maryland. Then you've got guys like Maui Huna, who's a shortstop transferring from Kansas to Tennessee, who's been one of the better pure hitters in college baseball. You keep going down guys like Cole Carrick, Marcus Brown, Mitch Jeb. they are just a lot of up-the-middle college shortstops. A lot of guys at the very top end of this list um, have, have shown an ability to play premium positions while hitting with impact. Uh, and even guys who I just skipped over, Johanny Morales and Brock Wilkin, on the infield, impact ability, power, production and power conferences. I, I just really like the depth of this college hitting class. And I wonder if... Maybe the 23 class will help reinforce some of the college ranks on our top 100 a year from now, and and even a guy like Chase Dolander at Tennessee, the right-handed pitcher, is is one of the better college pitching prospects. But I think one of the first things you said is a good one, and something we shouldn't forget is the college players just have less time to get on a top 100 and to move up a top 100 because they're just graduating. I mean, that's that's the benefit of taking college players; you don't have to have so much development time with them.
1: Yeah. Do you, yeah, you mentioned Jacob Gonzalez. What, what is it that puts him ahead of uh, like Jacob Wilson or some of these other uh, shortstops in the class? And is he somebody who stays at shortstop in at the major league level, or is he somebody who you think moves elsewhere in the infield?
0: Yeah, I think that's maybe the most polarizing part about his profile. Uh, I I would say a year ago, maybe a lot of people assumed he was going to move to third base. He is a bigger player. He doesn't have the most elite foot speed. I think maybe you could make some similar profile comparisons to how Marcelo Myers viewed. I don't think Jacob Gonzalez has ever been the sort of slick, smooth operator that, that Meyer is defensively, but... Jacob Gonzalez was the starting shortstop for Team USA in back-to-back years, which is rare. Um, he played really well at the position this summer, made all the plays, moved up the middle well. He's got a strong arm. So he is one of these players who you're probably going to get a split camp. There are going to be people in the industry who think he moves to third because of his size, think he's going to outgrow the position. Uh, whoever drafts him is undoubtedly going to start him at shortstop and, and allow him to stick there until... You know he has to move off the position because someone forced him off or or he played himself off because of his play. But I think he's a guy who probably has a 50-50 shot to stick at the position. Maybe it's a little bit higher than that now, um, given what he's done with Team USA. But what makes him one of the better college shortstop prospects we've seen in, in a, a while is the fact that he's played the position. He has a long track record of playing it with both his college team uh, and with team USA on top of his offensive profile, I mean, he got a lot of votes in our preseason, all America balloting as the best pure hitter in the class. He's a left-handed hitter. He has great eye at the plate. He's walked more than he struck out, uh, and he has power. So he kind of does all of the three main things that you want a hitter to do at the college level, make contact, make good swing decisions and hit with authority while playing shortstop and while being left-handed, um, so it's just a very well-rounded player who's also won at a high level. I mean, he led Mississippi to the College World Series in 2022. I mean, that's not the most important thing in the world to me, but I think it carries a lot of weight with the industry when you have a college shortstop who's the best player in his team uh, and led his team to a, a college championship. So I think that's why he's the best shortstop in the class right now among players like a Jacob Wilson who – Has probably better, not probably, but I mean, I think he undoubtedly has better pure bat to ball skills, but he doesn't have the same sort of impact or physicality now. He's a thinner, leaner guy who who probably isn't going to hit for the same sort of power that Jacob Gonzalez is going to. But I think it's just a well-rounded profile at the top for Jacob Gonzalez. And I, I can't, I'm trying to think of who the best college shortstop prospect that I've seen in recent years. I'll pull up our draft database. And see, but it's hard to find someone who has a track record of playing the position. His offensive track record, his overall tool set is it's it's hard to find in recent years, I'll say.
1: How how would you stack him up compared to Brooks Lee, who was you know first round, high first round pick last year? The twins we have him now tucked in toward the the back of our top 50.
0: I think Gonzalez is a much more prototypical draft prospect than Brooks Lee. I think in a lot of ways, Brooks Lee has that unique profile that Termar Johnson did. He, he's kind of like, it, it's a lazy comparison because they're in the same draft class and they have similar strengths and weaknesses, but he's really like the college version of Tamar. I mean, he played shortstop. No one really thinks he's going to be a shortstop long-term. I think most people expect third base probably for him. But I mean, better pure hitter than Jacob Gonzalez, but he also didn't do it in the SEC. And I think that's a real factor with teams. Um, You can have a higher average in a lower conference. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the better pure hitter of the two prospects, but at the same time, we had a lot of double plus evaluations on Brooksley's hit tool. I haven't got any of those just yet with Jacob Gonzalez, but I think his overall offensive package with a chance to be a plus hitter with a chance to be a plus on base guy with a chance to have plus power um while being just a more i think he probably has a better chance to play shortstop i I would say that very confidently i'm sure there's some people in the industry who might not think that but i know there are definitely more scouts who are higher on jacob gonzalez's shortstop play than there were on brooks lee's um so i just think he's kind of the more traditional prospect in a lot of ways he doesn't have the same body questions that brooks lee had i think they're With Brooksley, if he doesn't hit, what do you have? With Jacob Gonzalez, if he doesn't hit, I think you still have a lot of avenues to a productive player. I guess that's how I would put it. I think they would be close in terms of overall value, but I could see the industry being a little more excited about Gonzalez's upside, maybe, if that's fair to say. Yeah, I can see that. Let me see here. Just looking at college shortstops in the last few years. Okay. So I'm just going to go down the list of college shortstops we've had since just first round guys, maybe top 10. Let's do top 15 since Zach Neto is not here and he's an interesting one. Maybe we can talk about in relation to the top 100 list, but recent college shortstop prospects, Brooks Lee went number eight to the twins in 2022. Zach Neto went to the angels at the 13th pick. Um, then you go back to really none in 2021 that were top 15 in 2020. We've got Austin Martin, who's the fifth overall pick who at the time, I said was the best pick in the in the class. That has not aged very well for me. Um, Nick Gonzalez, number seven to the Pirates in 2020. In 2019, we had Bryson Stott to the Phillies at 14, Will Wilson at 15 to the Angels. Bryson Stott pick has looked pretty good for the Phillies. I mean, World Series shortstop. Going back to 2018, Nick Madrigal, again, really unique profile. Second baseman now. I don't know how you would compare and contrast Madrigal at the time with Gonzalez now. Um, 20. Let me see where we're at with Madrigal. Yeah, 2017. We had no one in the top 15. Logan Warmoth was the first college shortstop, he went 22. And then 2015, exactly. And then 2015, you have Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman, one and two. So, really, the only top five shortstops we've had in the last really the entirety of the bonus pool era, actually. This is kind of crazy um that have been top five are Dansby Swanson number one overall 2015 Alex Bregman number two overall 2015 Nick Madrigal number four overall 2018 um and then Austin Martin number five overall 2020 I I think obviously there's a lot of hindsight with these we can see how these players careers have panned out I think Jacob Gonzalez would be a better prospect than both Martin and Madrigal at the same time I mean we were very high on Austin Martin so it's hard to say with, like, he definitely surely is. But Austin Martin didn't have the same track record at shortstop. Nick Madrigal had the impact questions. I don't know. How do you view those three? Nick Madrigal, Austin Martin, and, and Jacob Gonzalez, what we know of him right now. Yeah. Wow.
1: Those are very different players. They're, they're, <laughs> and, and I think I would say that
0: Alex Bregman and Dansby Swanson were maybe even clearly better than Jacob Gonzalez right now. Do you think that's too strong? um i was not no. around here but just thinking back to how that group was talked about at the time was really no, impressive I, I think they were i think they were better
1: than jacob gonzalez is i mean you know we, we to wait to see jacob gonzalez play out his junior year um to maybe speak a little bit more to that so far but yeah. um but yeah i would i would have i would have those guys ahead of jacob gonzalez i mean i i don't know like the the thing to me that jumps out too is like i i could see jacob wilson jumping ahead of uh the other jacob gonzalez. Mm. i mean that's how much i like jacob wilson like you said it's you know he can he can play shortstop he has early hand-eye coordination makes a ton of contact very difficult to get him to swing and miss and then the power that he showed over the summer was, was pretty exciting too. Um, So it's, you know, like you said, it's not, it's not the SEC. He's not playing at at Mississippi like Jacob Gonzalez is, but you know, they were, they were on the same field. And I thought, I thought Jacob Wilson was just the, the better player. And, uh, you know, I like Jacob Gonzalez quite a bit too, but I thought, I thought, Jacob Wilson again seems like a, a true shortstop who who was just a, a really really advanced hitter with some kind of surprising sting behind the contact when he was able to square it up too.
0: So you like the uh you're telling me you like the guy with the five point four percent strikeout rate, ninety one percent overall <laughs> contact rate that that does it for you, Ben?
1: Uh he yeah, he, he was he was just so impressive.
0: He struck out summer. 7 times in 275 plate appearances with Grand Canyon in 2022. It was the best strikeout per at bat I think for D1 baseball's tough, toughest not D1 baseball, Division 1 NCAA uh toughest to strikeout metric that they use. Um and I don't know that I've seen a a, a prospect as prominent cuz there have been guys like like Luke Waddell had a really great pure bat-to-ball skill. He was really tough to strike out, but in terms of combining that contact ability with a top of top half of the first round college prospect. I mean, I would want to know now what Nick Madrigal's like pure contact rates were at the time. We didn't have the same batted ball data and information, but he he was probably the the last guy with this sort of pure bat-to-ball skill, I would think, unless I'm missing someone, but yeah, it's it's outlier hand-eye coordination and bat-to-ball skills with Jacob Wilson. And it is not at all surprising to me that you are really in on that profile, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's a favorite of mine. Well, let's, uh, let's dive back into some top 100 for a few more minutes here before we wrap, Ben. We've talked mostly about the top of the list. Obviously, there are 100 players here, not just the 15 or so that we've spent most of the time talking about. But we'd encourage you to check out the full list at BaseballAmerica.com and consider subscribing to see that list. If you're not a subscriber, I would imagine most people who have listened to the entirety of this podcast are are heavy in the Baseball America universe, though. Um, But but I wanted to just throw it out at you and see if there are any players further down the list who you are either higher on or lower on personally than where we have them. If there are any players in particular who intrigue you for 2023 uh, or or just basically allow you to talk more about the, the depth of the list uh, and, and any players that we haven't touched on here.
1: Well, we're talking about a lot of shortstops. So let's stick at shortstop for now mm-hmm. because Adal Amador with the Rockies, who we have in the 80s right now, I think he could be a top twenty-five overall type prospect in baseball within the next year. I'm, I, I love him, and I've been watching him play for for a long time since he was an amateur player in the Dominican Republic, and he he just continues to be extremely impressive, uh, especially offensively. Um, just a, a very very polished hitter. For his age. Uh switch hitter was 19 years old in low A last year, walked 20 more times than he struck out, has a, a great feel for the strike zone. Um, I like I like his swing, especially his left handed swing is is really nice. Um, although he does make a little bit more contact from the right side, but um, you know, switch hitter, very high on base threat. Uh, makes a lot of contact, controls the strike zone well. Uh, not like a crazy high power number type guy, but we saw him hit 15 home runs this year. Um, again, not also not a, a great runner. It's it's not like a big power speed type shortstop, and and it might ultimately be uh, second base for him long term. Uh, but I think he's he's one of the He's just one of the better hitters, especially at the lower levels of the minor leagues. Um, I think he's, I think he's going to continue to to hit at a high level, get on base at a high level as he moves up and play somewhere in the middle infield. Again, it's it's probably more likely second base than shortstop. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't rule him off of shortstop just yet, but uh, the switch hitting ability. Uh, is is just it's really really advanced with him
0: that's a good name one name and, I, and I'll stick to shortstops as well since we've got a heavy shortstop theme today who I like and I actually didn't have on my top 150 entering this process but but I realized after the fact that I should have unfortunately he is on our top 100 um at the very back end of this list in the 90s is Joy Ortiz with Baltimore I think there are some shades of Jeremy Pena from a year ago with Joey Ortiz here. I mean, Ortiz was drafted in the fourth round at the time in 2019. Man, this 2019 draft for the Orioles is just exceptional. But at the time, he was a glove first shortstop, uh, who scouts thought was a plus defender. And I think there are more questions about his offensive ability that, that kind of allowed him to fall to the fourth round but like we've seen with a lot of these baltimore hitters he's he's done a lot to improve over the years 2022 was a very strong season for him he pushed to triple a overall um he hit 269 337 455 in double a uh, then he moved to triple a hit 346 405 67 the feedback on on both his defensive ability still his contact ability, and then the adjustments that he made in 2022 uh, and starting to hit with a little bit more power. It wouldn't be surprising at all if Ortiz just continued to have a blow-up season in 2023. I'm very excited about the combination of his defensive ability, the improved offensive ability, the pure contact rate. I I feel like he's a guy that I'm going to regret not having on my personal list and just hearing some of the other guys at BA. I think Matt Eddy in particular made a really compelling case for him um with just some of the feedback that we were getting i i think maybe it's easy to lose track of some of these players who are a little bit under the radar i don't think ortiz was ever like a completely under the radar prospect but it seemed like he did a lot of developing in the upper minors and catching those guys before they've graduated and before we can really have a chance to um to look into them and say oh wait a minute here like ortiz looks pretty good i i think was was cool to see just in the process of the top 100 uh, so he's a guy that i'm i'm fascinated by and i think he does a lot of things really well and i like the trajectory of his development and in his offensive upside talk a lot about gunner henderson as the shortstop for the orioles but it, it wouldn't be surprising at all for joey ortiz to be the long time shortstop with baltimore and for gunner to be an elite third baseman beside him and and that could be a pretty electric left side of the infield so he's one that i think is utterly fascinating at the back of the list
1: yeah and then of course they you know <laughs> Orioles have a few other options too with uh connor yeah. norby you jordan think- westberg
0: yeah westberg and norby both guys i really like as well westberg was another guy who got positive feedback norby is just a great hitter if you're Baltimore, would you trade from some of this infield depth, or do you think it's too early for that? You'd let them kind of matriculate up, see what happens, see if people get injured, see who performs, and just maybe you're just living with a, an elite homegrown infield, which is certainly not a problem to have, not a bad problem to have. Uh,
1: it, it depends. I mean, it, it depends. And if with the right opportunity pops up, if the right deal presents itself, um, and then of course, like, you know. We didn't even mention Jackson Holiday in that conversation. He's a oh, little, oh yeah, a little Jackson further off, too, a little further away, but <laughs> he still exists. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 a great position to be in because I I think the Orioles will be a playoff contender this year. So as the, uh, I really
0: wish they had gone after like a, a big starter in the free agent market. I think that would have been awesome.
1: Yeah, I don't know what. uh, <laughs> Their ownership situation right now seems like a Oof. bit of a
0: seems a bit of a mess.
1: Bit of a a mess, a mess. You're, you're, and you're going to call them a mess during during Martin Luther. It's King not Martin Day Luther King,
0: King Jr. Day. Don't worry, I can't say that now. Okay, okay. I but, think that's how it works. Yeah, the the front office is exceptionally sharp, and the ownership does not seem to be <laughs>
1: <laughs> the yeah. I mean, but they're they're you know they're in a really good position to be able to trade from a position of strength and yeah i mean you, I, I would not trade gunner henderson i would not trade uh yeah um, I, I would trade i would trade i would trade jackson holiday in like the right deal if you're getting you heard uh, it here first
0: guys ben badler wants to trade away jackson holiday
1: <laughs> it, it, you know it, like if you're getting a superstar player who's under team control for so multiple, what's the you know,
0: what's the sort of player you trade him for
1: you know, right now, I, I would have to think, but just, you know, just historically, if you think back to the Red Sox trading Yohan Moncada at the time when he was the top two, I think the number two prospect in baseball at the time, but you're trading him for Chris Sale, who's an ace on a very team-friendly contract for multiple years when you're trying to win now. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. like Yohan Moncada is a great prospect at the yep. time, but I mean, Chris Sale is a is a number one starter who you're going to control. I mean, it's not just a rental player. You're you're getting for, uh, I think he had three ish, three maybe four even years. I forget exactly at the top of my head at the time, but uh, three or four years left on his contract at a, a very team friendly deal. So yeah, you you do that if 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 that case arises. But even then, like they have so much firepower to to trade if they need uh you know or whether it's Colton Kowser too I mean they just have so many different options to work through to to acquire you know whether it's starting pitching or or position players to to bolster that roster and and build around I think they're just going to be a a dangerous team in that division for for years to to come
0: yep The Orioles are loaded on the farm. They had uh, eight prospects on the top 100, most of any team, top farm system in baseball, number one prospect in back-to-back years, sleeper prospect who maybe could be number one uh, a year from now. So in a pretty good shape if you're projecting the future for Baltimore. It's been a long time coming for their fans. Hopefully they're getting really excited about it. I imagine the Orioles will be more of a uh, must-watch big league team in 2023 uh, as some of these guys move up, and we haven't even talked much at all about Adley Rushman, but he is still there doing his thing. Um, So yeah, really fun team. Ben, anything else you want to mention on the top 100 list? We've covered a decent bit of it. Again, I'd encourage everyone to go check out the full list on the website, Um, but I think this has been a fun conversation. Anytime we talk shortstops, I get excited, and there are a lot of really talented young shortstops at the top of the top 100 and in, in, in baseball overall. So give me all the shortstops. Let's do it again next week.
1: The, uh I was curious if there were guys who you were, were lower on though, than where they were ranked on the yeah. top 100 for, for, for me, like one guy for me who jumps out, Michael Bush mm-hmm. with the Dodgers. Like he, he's somebody where I, I see more risk with him. So we have him at 54 on the top 100. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've I've always, you know, wanted to like him, right? Like he's an offensive oriented middle infielder who, you know, who is a patient hitter too, and and has a, you know, a good track record of mm-hmm. performance or at least just kind of the surface level slash line performance throughout the, the minor leagues and, and up to AAA this year. At the same time, you know, he, he just turned 25. And there's, there's a lot of strikeouts there, like a, like a concerning number of strikeouts. He's defensively like, you know, he was a first baseman in college, moved to second base in pro ball. Don't think he's very good there. And the new rules on shifting are, are not going to help him there either. So me like he's somebody where i'm probably lower on him maybe than the consensus of or where we have him mm-hmm. right now again like i i obviously i i see the 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 upside there but i still think there's just uh, i i just can't quite buy into him being in the top you know being a top 60 prospect in baseball
0: yeah okay that's a good one i, I initially had bush i think even higher than where we have him just because I was really in on the hitting ability. But then once we got some feedback, I, I slid him down a little bit. I think I'm pretty much in line with where he's at on the top 100, but I, I acknowledge your concerns. I think they're valid and real. I just think he's going to hit, and he'll find a spot somewhere to be productive. I don't think he'll be an impact player, but I think he'll be a very solid regular, and I think that would be a good outcome for someone in the 50 to 100 range on 100. One of the guys who I'm quite a bit lower on than our list is Sedane Rafaela. Um, and maybe this is because I also have experienced ranking both Victor Robles and Christian Pache, and so now I'm just really scared of this profile or, or at least hesitant about this profile until I feel better about the hitting ability and overall offensive upside. We have Rafaela in the 70s. I had him on my 150, but I didn't have him in the top 100. He sounds like a fantastic defensive outfielder, It sounds like he can be an impact guy there. He's fast, but I just really question the approach. Um, He has one of the higher chase rates of any player that we've talked about today, or at least he had a higher chase rate in 2022 than any player that we've talked about today. He doesn't walk a ton. He hasn't hit for a ton of power yet. I just am not sold on the sort of offensive player that he can be. And Again, it's not like we have Rafaela in a spot where we had Robles and Pache as some of the top prospects in baseball at the time. So maybe I'm, maybe there's a spot for this profile that that should fit comfortably in the back of a 100. And I'm just kind of just scared of the profile after what what we've experienced in the past. But that would be one where I'm just a bit hesitant and want to see more offensively before I get really excited. I think I think there are many more hitters who I like in the 70 to 100 range that, that I'm either more excited about the bat or I feel more confident in the bat that I would rather have there.
1: Yeah, it is a, it is a uh, hyper aggressive approach with him. Um, what about for pitching is, I don't know if there's anybody that jumps out for you because the the guy for me would be, would be Shane Boz probably yeah. going back to, what well, we talked about earlier in our conversation about pitching risk, mm-hmm. and we have Shane Boz at thirty two overall right now. And you know, there's given given the injury risk with him it's it's different compared to, you know, you know somebody like Dylan Lesko, for example, who's mm-hmm. a high school pitcher having Tommy John surgery. but um you know this is this is somebody who's already has significant major league experience so when he comes back he'll pretty much be pitching in the big leagues but like all right well now when is he going to come back he's going to miss more time now he's basically going to spend next or this upcoming season in rehab so 2024 he comes back he's 25 again it's not like he's going to be ancient and I get that and and I you know when he's healthy I love the stuff the fastball the slider um, the way he was able to throw a lot more strikes than than I ever thought he would when he was in the lower levels of the minor leagues but again just going back to I think maybe overvaluing what we see in front of us and undervaluing the things that are more uh, difficult to see or yeah. to keep in mind for his long-term future, just that, that injury risk with him or that just the medical mm-hmm. risk with him would, it would be, would make him a guy where I would push him uh much further down the top 100 Mm -hmm. compared to the consensus of where we have him right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good one. I really struggled to place Boz. I had him right around the range where he's on the list now, but it it was mostly just kind of me trying to find out where to fit him that made sense because I had a, I guess, especially in the top 50, he was one of the players that I just didn't feel confident in where I had him at any point in the process because of all those risk factors and because of, just the pure stuff mm-hmm. that he had shown in the past, but I think you make really good points about why there there are reasons to be concerned. I, in terms of a specific pitcher that I'm lower on, I don't really have one that jumps out to me. I think mostly it's there are a lot of pitchers in general that I just slid further down the board because of all these conversations that we're having. Like even that top trio of, of pitchers, Andrew Painter, Grayson Rodriguez, and Yuri Perez. People might look at where I have them on my list. Uh, it's all double digit ranks for them and be like, well, okay, why do you have him there? I don't, I don't have Cody Senga as high. I don't have um, uh, just scrolling down the list. I don't have Ricky Tiedemann as high though. I still like Ricky Tiedemann a lot. I don't have Brandon. F- I, I, I think I just faded a lot of pitchers in general in favor of hitters. Um, there's not one player who, who very clearly jumps out as like, I don't like him for this specific reason even deal hall at the back of this list who I had lower on my personal list. I still like deal hall quite a bit. I think it's it's fine to have a likely reliever in this range, if he can be an impact reliever. And I think that's what deal hall is going to be. Um, Masataki, Yoshida, I didn't have him very high relative to where, I mean, he's not very high on our top 100 overall, but I just think most of the pitchers I, I have a little lower there. They're not a ton who jump out as guys. I'm higher on, actually. That might be the more interesting question with me. Which pitchers do I have higher than than we have on the top 100? I'm trying to find one, but I, I can't so far.
1: You didn't have Dylan Lesko in your top 10?
0: That's the one, actually. It is Dylan Lesko. <laughs> I, I didn't see. I was scrolling down because he's so much lower on our top 100 than he is on mine. Dylan Lesko's at 69 on our top 100. I had him at 43. So so that's the one. Good call, Ben.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, you and I will I, that that's where we'll diverge, I think, quite a bit on on that one, because I, I would wow. have him quite a bit need. lower because I I mean, look,
0: like like you said, he, disregard everything we've talked about with pitchers with Dylan Lesko and just disregard it all. He's great. He, He's awesome. He, he does it all well.
1: I mean, when, when he was healthy, everything I mean, everything you said, I think we probably agree on as far as him being the best high school pitching prospect prior 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 to his Tommy John surgery he's the best high school pitching prospect we've seen in years i mean it's phenomenal stuff across the board uh fastball changeup breaking ball and then command to go with it just uncommon command for a high school pitcher but again like there's if if he's having trouble staying healthy and at and at at 18 years old what does that mean long term you know there there is a good track record of, of returning from Tommy John surgery but is that raise more red flags for him staying healthy long term I I think it does uh again he's also somebody who if he comes back healthy could easily be a top you know 25 top 10 prospect yeah in in baseball I, I i recognize the upside but i think there's you got to uh, go um, out on a limb um,
0: for some guys you like ben you got to yeah
1: <laughs> you know you, you do but that's one where i'm just saying mm, there's just too too much risk for him to yeah for for me to tolerate him or not tolerate it's not the right word i guess for or, me for, with, for me to have him that high
0: for me with lesko it's it's more of a feeling of i would rather be too aggressive on him now and risk having to drop him than the opposite, because I know what he looked like while healthy. And I think that the recovery rates for Tommy John are solid enough that I'm not as scared off of someone who I think is the best high school pitching prospect that I've seen. So I would rather err on the side of being too aggressive with him than be too conservative. And two years from now, if he comes back, be like, okay, we got to get him off the board now. So that that's kind of my thinking with Lesko. He's just one of those guys that I'm willing to be really aggressive with. I think maybe another one who who might be a good example of a pitcher that I'm higher on is Matthew Liberatore. He's at the back of our list, and I think I think Matthew Liberatore is getting a lot of negative attention because it's not the sexiest profile. There are pitchers on this list who have much more exciting stuff, um, better fastball life, more explosive fastball. But I think that he's just going to be a very good quality starting pitcher. He's left-handed. He's got a deep pitch mix. He's got solid control. He's been consistent throughout the minor leagues. Hasn't yet shown it at the AAA level, but I think he's going to be a guy who makes those adjustments at the major league level. I'm not comparing him to Kyle Wright because they're very different pitchers, but I just think in the same sense that Kyle Wright took a few years to get um, his stuff to translate to the major league level. I'm hoping that Matthew Libertor can be an, a player like that who makes some adjustments and all of a sudden you're looking at a really reliable number four type who maybe pitches like a number three at times. Um, But I don't think there's anything um, to to get too down about if you're looking at a left-handed pitcher who is just a steady Eddie reliable starter. And I think that's what Matthew Libertor can be. So I'm higher on him because of that. And I'm curious if you think like, what do you think about Libertor? I think a lot of people have maybe given up on him already, but he's 22 years old. He's only pitched 34 innings at the big league level. Like, I, I wouldn't just completely write him off because the ERA was pushing a six in 2022 in his debut. I'm not writing him off, but I, I'm i lower on him than yeah, than you
1: are. Well, like you said, I mean, it's not just what he did at the... When he got to St. Louis, it, it wasn't great in AAA A either. Mm. <laughs> um, not that I'm just looking at ERA either, but it's just scouting the stat line. Ben, I mean, if if <laughs> if, if if he was, the, you know,
0: the lack of swing and miss is a concern at the upper levels. That that could be a real reason why he doesn't succeed. But for whatever reason, I just think that he'll he'll make the adjustment.
1: Yeah, I, I just don't have that confidence. I don't see the stuff there to miss bats at against major league hitters at, at the clip that he's going to need to i mean he's not mm-hmm. he's not an elite command guy either yeah. he's he's not up there throwing you know he's not out there sitting 96 to 98 mm-hmm. with you know like a put away slider and it's it's just he needs to tighten his command or something uh and it's not like he has uh you know solid average stuff but pinpoint command that mm-hmm. helps everything play up it's you know average ish type stuff for the most part across the board i mean the, the curveball was a a very good pitch for him but yeah i think it's you know i think he has a chance to develop into a back end starter and there's some risk that he will not uh get there um even like i, I don't think he's some some safe back end starter Yeah. Projection. And like I'll acknowledge, obviously, I think there is some more upside in there than that. But uh, like to me, uh, he would not be on my top 100. So uh, we are we are a split camp on that. It's good.
0: It's good. We finally have a, a disagreement on some players. I think it's always fun when we do have that because. You know, it's it's a lot more fun for the listeners probably when there are disagreements and we're just like patting each other on the back for what we just said about a player. Yeah,
1: at a boy, Carlos, good job.
0: <laughs> Maybe we'll put a we'll put a bet board on this one or something. We'll see. Well, let's just track him and see if if he does pan out because I think all of the the questions that you raised are are real. I don't I don't think any of them are overblown. I just I'm hopeful that that he can take the next step and I do think he's still young and I do think with how we've seen pitchers develop that I, I I just don't want to write off Libertor right now. So I I would. I still have him up a little bit higher, but yeah.
1: Tink Hans on the other hand, I am, mm-hmm. I am, I am pushing everything in. A, well, not everything, but <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very high on Tink Hans. Yeah. I won't say he's underrated because we do
0: have him ranked pretty Even high. In the top 50. I had him just a few spots out of that. So I think I'm in line with our list on, on hands, but he, he certainly misses bats.
1: Yeah. That's what, I mean, just stuff to miss bats across the board, fastball, mm-hmm. curveball, changeup. change up throw strikes. I mean, they treated him with kid gloves as far as his workload. So that's mm-hmm. something that he's going to have to prove. And it's not his fault, obviously. <laughs> the Cardinals were so restrictive in their yeah. their usage of him. Um, you know, it's a pretty slender, wiry, you know, teenage pitcher still last year. So I yeah, get it to, to at least to a certain extent, trying to be careful. But Man, he just checks so many boxes that you look for with a pitcher, as far as the stuff, the athleticism, the arm speed, uh, throwing strikes, the the depth to his repertoire. He's man, he is uh, he is very exciting.
0: Yes, he is. I think another one, maybe a last one that I'll mention is Luis Ortiz with the Pirates. He's one that I really like. We had him in the back um last 30 spots or so on our top 100 i had him around 15 spots higher i really like him i like the stuff i like the command uh i just think he's pretty good the fastball i think could be a potential 70 i think he's got a plus breaking ball as well in the slider uh obviously made his major league debut already so there's not a ton of risk about him just getting there uh, i i like him quite a bit i think quinn priester got a lot of love early on and I still like Quinn Priester quite a bit as well. He was right on the outside looking in on my list, and I think overall in the top 100 list. But Luis Ortiz would be another guy who I'm just seeing the uh the green in the cells that I have on my my top 100. Just kind of looking at the deltas compared to my list and uh, the BA top 100. Do you like Ortiz, Ben?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> quite a quite a bit to like with him uh throwing. You know, triple digits, fastball, uh, at times it's a good slider. Uh probably not quite as high on on him, maybe relative to the rest of the staff. But obviously, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get it. I mean, it's yeah, powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, it could be, you know, mid-rotation type arm potentially.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Any other guys you want to touch on?
1: Uh no. I think uh I think that was cool. good.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. Um, So yeah, thank you guys for listening to those of you who've made it through the whole podcast. We appreciate it. Um, Definitely check out the site. If you have not this week, there's a ton of supplemental coverage about the top 100 on the site for subscribers. And thank you guys for subscribing. Those of you who do, it allows us to do everything that we do at Baseball America. Uh, We make these podcasts for you guys because we want to just have conversations and and chat about baseball with, with each other and with you guys. So thank you so much for for just allowing us to do that then I think we still have a deal that we're running right now that listeners can take advantage of um you can tell them more about that you know all the details of yeah,
1: it. yeah yeah If you sign up uh this month you get for a 12 month subscription for an annual sub you get three months free on top of it so basically comes out to 15 months for the price of 12 and I've been here for 15 years and or 15 16 years and we pretty rarely ever run I've, uh, I've not been here as long as you it.
0: but I can count on one hand the number of times we've run deals so
1: yeah so I mean I always obviously recommend a BA sub but I would uh <laughs> highly recommend it if uh if you're interested in taking advantage of the yeah. uh, the opportunity before it's gone
0: yeah. If you've, if you've been a listener and you kind of follow and have always maybe thought about subscribing, but haven't, um, and you want to jump in, I, I can't think of a better time than right now. It's, it's BA 100 week. You're getting a deal that, that rarely happens at Baseball America. So you're getting a little extra value. So definitely give it a try if you've maybe been considering, um, but, but haven't yet for whatever reason. Uh, also the, I think the Baseball America PDF uh, or the PDF of the prospect handbook is being sent out today if you buy that directly from us so that's another reason to just kind of jump on and and start getting some of these things if you haven't yet um, you can buy the baseball the prospect handbook whenever but I believe today is the day as we record this people will actually start getting the pdf versions of the handbook so if you've got a fantasy league that's drafting and you want to get the most up-to-date information on full prospect rankings for all teams uh, and everything that's included in the handbook I would recommend doing that as well. Uh, But for Ben, uh, I'm Carlos. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time.